0: But this is week nine, and the title of today's message is simply this, does this apply to me? Does this apply to me? We would be, I believe, failing the story of Moses to only uh, two weeks ago uh, have Jeff give you a 30,000 foot flyby of the Ten Commandments. Jeff was, uh, when we were planning that, that was planned several weeks ago. We were planning that. Jeff's like, like you, we're going to do all of them in one sermon? I'm like, yeah, man, let's do it. And uh, he's like, are you sure? I'm like, we got to, man, um, in order to get done. Um, but uh, but l- let me just say this. I know Jeff's study, and I know Jeff's uh, uh, thoughts on that. If, uh, if you'd like more in-depth study, I'm sure Jeff can take you right down that road. Not to put you on the spot, Jeff. Uh, but, uh, but I appreciated. Um, Jeff's sermon two weeks ago but the, I believe we'd be doing the life of Moses a disservice but I'm focusing in on the law okay the life of Moses is heavily influenced by the sermon two weeks ago the Ten Commandments but the remainder of the book of Exodus from chapters 21 to the end of the book there's only a two chapter portion you pull out that doesn't deal with law for the remainder of the book. And I understand this morning, and we're going to talk about it, that I understand this morning that we live in grace. But I also understand that we must understand the law in order to fully comprehend grace. And so, uh, does this apply to me? Here's the complaint. Or the challenge that I, I have heard, I have seen on even social media. I have heard this with my own ears. You Christians just pick and choose which commands you want to obey based upon your preferences and your prejudices. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning, but no doubt if you've spent time around unsaved people or people that, have, uh, that are unredeemed and not placed their faith in Jesus, you may have heard something similar. Hey, this, this book is full of all these commandments, especially in the Old Testament, and you guys choose to follow some of them, but you say the other ones are not, what's up with that? Uh, Deuteronomy two five says that, that women should not wear that which pertains to a man. Man, ha, if you grew up where, where I grew up, man, you heard that verse. Boy, that, was, that could have been put out on a sign uh, to get people to come into church. <clears throat> and so someone would say, well, yes, yeah, so I, my, my wife dressed like a lady or my daughter dressed like a lady. And by the way, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that if that's your personal choice uh, have at it. I believe anyway, we'll get there. Um, but, th- but they would say, "Joel, you remember 25? This is the way my wife and my daughters are going to dress. Well, women should not wear that. That pertains to a man. Bless God. You got to end it with that. But then someone would say, uh, Josh in the same chapter, six verses later, it says that you should not wear clothing that has mixed fabric And so, if you're wearing a shirt today that's 60 40 cotton polyester, okay, or you're wearing any garment, let's just go there, any garment on your body that's not 100% one, so why don't we follow that? It's a valid question. It's in the same chapter, it's in the same context. And so, today, my goal is twofold. My goal is to explain how the Old Testament law applies to us today. To answer the question, does it? And to answer the secondary question, which ones are we talking about? My second part, and the most important thing, is that I want to turn our eyes to Jesus. I want to turn our eyes to Jesus. You see, certain parts of the Old Testament says you can't eat shellfish, and I love me some shrimp. I could go on my, like, Forrest Gump, shrimp scampi, shrimp on the barbie. I could go, I could do it. Fried shrimp, you know, broiled shrimp. I like it all. Why don't we follow those rules? We only seem to follow the rules that we understand that are culturally acceptable in 2020 or that we tend to agree with. And I don't know about you, my heart in this sermon today is that I want to be ready to give a defense when I'm confronted on the authenticity of my faith. I want to be that person. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15 says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And understanding the sermon today is key in helping us present a biblical defense of what we believe. I don't want to be that person that when someone says, hey, what about this? I say, I don't really know. I don't want to be the person when someone who's studied, ask me a question and, and I have to honestly say, let me get back to you. There's nothing wrong with that. I just don't like, I don't like being that person. I want to have a defense. I want to know what I believe. I want to be consistent in my view of scripture. And in order to do that, we must understand what applies and how it applies to us today. Today's sermon and, and the truths that are contained within the sermon will inform how we read and how we interpret the Bible. I am not this morning going to take you to a verse. I'm not going to take you to one verse that says, this is how you interpret the Old Testament laws. That verse does not exist. Okay? Okay. I'm not going to take you to a verse. And that's where some of us that are very like, it's either 100% yes or, or, or 0% yes, we have a, a tough time sometimes. I can't take you to a verse this morning, but what I can do is I can take you to a, a, a system of interpreting and viewing scripture that allows us to have a consistent view between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I know it's easier to point to a verse But as you grow in your Bible reading and your walk with God, you understand that there are lenses by which you view scripture. I won't go into detail here, but you can take a chapter, Romans chapter 9 is a very debated chapter in the Bible. You can take that chapter and if you look at that chapter through this lens right here, you see something. If you look at that chapter through this lens over here, you see something. And Those things don't always mesh the easiest. We must understand that we we do view Scripture through certain theological lenses. And those lenses help us develop our overall theology of Scripture. So as we read through the Old Testament or as we interact with those who are unbelievers, which of the laws and commandments apply to me today? That's where we're getting. Heavenly Father, lead my words, guide my words, direct my words. Holy Spirit, take full control of everything I say this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's understand the different types of laws. Jeff, when he preached two weeks ago, um, he gave you about 15 seconds on each one and said that we would be diving into this a little deeper uh, in the next couple weeks, and so that's what we're doing today. But there are three types of laws given in the Old Testament. This is a very traditional view of scripture here. The first is the civil law. The civil law. The laws following the Ten Commandments have to do with the new nation of Israel and how they would function and punish evil acts. These are the laws given after Exodus chapter 20. Not, these are not the Ten Commandments. These are the laws given after that. Now, we could turn there today and we could read through all of them, but we would read from chapter 21 to chapter 40 to read all of these civil laws and the next type of laws. We're not gonna, I'm not going to do that to you this morning. But these are the laws that followed the Ten Commandments. Israel was a unique nation. It was God's chosen nation, and it was being ruled as a theocracy. And This is very important. The nation of Israel, the government set up in the nation of Israel was a theocracy. That is quite literally a nation that is ruled by God. God would verbally, audibly speak to the leader, Moses, as to how to govern. No no other nation has that. No other nation has nor will. Okay, This was unique to the children of Israel. So obviously, the laws that were given on a theocracy, in, in a theocracy given to the children of Israel are not binding laws on the United States of America today. They're not binding laws in the Lewis family today. They're not binding laws in, in the Mitchell family today. These are not binding laws. But does this mean that every civil law in the Old Testament should be ignored? Since we don't live under a theocracy anymore? Absolutely not. While we cannot dictate these laws today and make these laws binding, we can learn from these laws. Hey, the civil law has a lot of really good things about how we should treat the poor. Uh, The civil law has a lot of really good things about our interactions and relationships. It also has some other things like if you backtalk your parents, you should be killed. Any parent, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, any parent ever been like, if that's true, like, sign me up. Just kidding. Uh, we, got some, we got some parents in here with their kids. So we have to understand, we have to interpret those civil laws properly. We don't ignore every civil law, but we understand that in the New Testament, we understand that, that because we have, we have made the change from the law into grace, we understand under this new covenant that we live in that these laws are not binding on us. These laws can help us. They can tell us how to do things, and honestly, some of them can probably tell us how not to do some things. My daughters have disobeyed before in their lives, and they're still around to talk about it. All right, so taking, taking some and understanding that the binding law in the Old Testament is not the civil law, but that it can be of use. We must understand that they're not binding. So the civil law will be any law that's given to the nation of Israel, specifically for them, ruled by God as their king, as their leader, and as their ruler. The second type of law this morning. This is a little academic at the beginning, but, but we're getting there. The ceremonial law, secondly. The ceremonial, cer- the ceremonial law. These laws are given in Exodus chapter 25 through uh, Exodus chapter 31. These are basic instructions for constructing the tabernacle. These are laws for sacrifice for cleanliness, and other guidelines for Old Testament worship. We see a lot of these also in the book of Leviticus. And then from chapters 35 through 40, we basically see the account of this tabernacle, the the, the instructions actually played out. So really chapter 35 through 40 in Exodus is just repeating chapters 25 through like 30. But we see guidelines for sacrifice, cleanliness, worship. The tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, and other elements of the ceremonial law have an obvious point of relationship to Jesus Christ. I am going to do the life of Moses uh, injustice by not diving into the tabernacle. We're not going to be able to do that in this series. I would love to do a whole series on the tabernacle and how everything in the tabernacle points to Jesus. We cannot do that with the time that we have. But let's just say that everything about the ceremonial law shows the need of a Savior once for all. You, you had to take this animal on this certain day and it had to be a, a male and you had to, to butcher it in just this exact way. And it could be for your family or maybe for, for multiple families. It could be for, for this person or for that person. You had to make sure that you built the ark with a certain type of wood. You had to make sure there were all of these things that you had to do, 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 do. And that only points to the fact that someone needed to come and do that once and for all. And what was that? That was Jesus. We're going we're to get there this morning. He came this morning and he fulfilled this law. Christ came and sacrificed his life on the cross for our sin, became our sin on the cross he repealed the ceremonial law. There no longer had to be those detailed sacrifices. There no longer had to be all of those step-by-step-by-step-by-step by step by step by step of how someone had to worship. There no longer had to be animals' bloodshed because the blood of the Lamb was shed, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. So we have the civil law. These were laws given to the government of Israel. We have the ceremonial laws. These were laws given for worship, really. They were guidelines about cleanliness and worship in the tabernacle. Obviously, those two laws do not directly apply to us today, where we sit in 2020 as New Testament believers. They don't apply to us. Now, once again, can we learn from them? Certainly. Are there elements about civil laws and ceremonial laws that are important? Certainly. But can I open up my Bible to a random verse in the book of Leviticus and go, Hey, read. We're going to read this verse and I want to make sure I'm going to hold you to this. Absolutely not. Now thirdly, we have what we preached about two weeks ago. We have the moral law. The moral law. This law was given in Exodus chapter 20, commonly known as the Ten Commandments. These were given as letter of the law commandments. Do this or do not do this. To be honest, these laws sought to modify the actions of the people, but not necessarily change their hearts, if we're honest. This moral law does, however, outline God's character, his integrity, his love, his faithfulness. And, And listen to this, God's character never changes. The Ten Commandments show us God's character, and God's character never changes. But what did change? Our position under the law. What did change? The penalty for breaking those laws. What, there were a lot of things that did change, and I guess we could just scope it up in one word, Jesus, or grace. But grace came into full view as our sins were paid for by the only one who could pay for it, Jesus Christ. So our sins were still sins, but the penalties of those sins changed completely because Jesus took upon himself and bore our sins on the cross. Listen to this, and I want us to understand this. Moral sins had civil penalties in the Old Testament. Disobey your parents, die. Man, I'd be dead, man. Lord have mercy. I'd have been gone early. I'd have been gone early. But moral sins had penalties in the New Testament, too. It was the penalty of death. In the Old Testament, you had civil civil penalties for moral laws. In the New Testament, you have penalties for for sin, too. It was called a penalty of death. But Jesus came and paid it in full by his blood. How can we sum up the moral law? I believe Paul does a good job of explaining this in Romans chapter 13. Verse 80 says, Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there's any other commandment, they are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. This verse makes it very clear that those moral expectations are still there, but this commandment cuts straight to the heart. Love. And here's what it says. It's what, it's, it's what that verse means. If I have love for God and my neighbor, I will not commit adultery. If I have love for God and my neighbor, I will not murder. Hey, if I have love for God and my neighbor, I will not covet. I will not steal. I will not lie or bear false witness against them. If I have love, then I will obey. What's the verse? If you love me, keep my commandments. What's the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. You say, oh, cool. So that means I I just go around. I mean, I love people and I'm good. Well, here's a quote I want us to understand this morning. Love requests more than the law demands. Love requests more than the law demands. Because we're operating now out of the greatest commandment of love and not the law, we don't even look upon a woman to lust much less commit the act of adultery with her. Think about it. New Testament, Matthew, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, don't even look upon a woman to lust after her. Jesus says, the letter of the law says, don't commit adultery. Jesus says, the heart, the spirit of the law says, don't lust. Hey, hey, the Old Testament, the letter of the law says, do not murder. Do not take that knife and put it through the heart of that person. Letter of the law. The New Testament says hey, heart, spirit of the law. Don't hate a brother or a sister. Don't hate. You see, love requests more than the law demands. But it's all based out of love the love displayed in the gospel and the love we now show our Savior. These moral laws, the Ten Commandments, do they apply to us today? Well, Quite, quite simply, if, if you're asking me a yes or no question, the answer is yes. Do they apply to us today? Absolutely, they apply to us today. Are things different in the New Testament than they are in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Will I be stoned today for breaking a Ten Commandment? No. There's grace. There's Jesus. Will I be punished in the way uh, civilly that they were punished in the Old Testament for breaking some of these laws? Absolutely not, because the penalty of that sin has been paid by Jesus. So where does this leave us? I want to give us some closing statements this morning that I believe will clarify everything in your mind as we leave here today. Once again, number one, wanting to be able to give a defense for our authentic faith. To answer the question, you follow some of them, but you don't follow all of them. Secondly, to turn our eyes upon Jesus. Here's some closing statements. Number one, understanding how to interpret and apply the Bible is paramount. Understanding how to interpret and apply the Bible is paramount. I guess I'm going to go here. When someone asks you to take the Bible literally, okay, that's a very complex question. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, what is it? He will not depart. Anybody ever seen a parents do their absolute dead level best to train up a child in the way as should go? Anybody ever seen parents weep and cry over their kids? Only to see their kids get older and Snub their nose at everything and deny the faith and live a life of sin and debauchery. and You see, what we had to do to understand there is that that's a proverb. Does anybody know what a proverb is? It's a wise saying. It's a general truth. It's a very general statement that says, hey, listen, generally speaking, generally speaking, you train up a child on the way he should go. He won't depart from it. Generally speaking, so we have to understand this morning that understanding how to interpret and apply the Bible is paramount. Because if you say, yeah, I take the Bible literally, and you make that statement, then I'm going to open up the Bible to Leviticus and say, hey, when your children disobeyed you, why didn't you kill them? And what are you going to say then? Well, come on, bro. <laughs> we can't always just point to a verse. You know that's the way cults start. They find a verse, and they run. They usually run far away from all the other verses, but they find a verse. We must understand that sometimes we have to develop a system of Bible interpretation that helps us understand to in, and interpret and apply the Bible properly. Secondly, I love this. So which ones of the Old Testament laws matter to New Testament day? Secondly, any Old Testament question will have a New Testament answer. Okay? Any Old Testament question will have a New Testament answer. You say, Josh, you're teaching this morning. I'm sorry. It's the Bible, and I'm teaching. I'll yell at you at the end. Okay? If we're ever wondering if, the, if an Old Testament teaching applies to us today, we should ask ourselves this simple question. Where is this similar teaching found in the New Testament? Is this teaching found in the New Testament? Is it? In the case of the Ten Commandments, they are easily found in the New Testament. Are you ready? You shall have no other gods before me. Matthew chapter 4, verse 10. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. You shall not make any carved images or idols. 1 John 5, 21. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Mark chapter 2, verse 27 and 28, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man, Jesus, is also Lord of the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. Ephesians chapter 6, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you. You may live long on the earth. You shall not murder Revelation 21.8. Revelation 21.8 could cover a lot of them. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You shall not commit adultery. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will Judge, you shall not steal. Ephesians chapter four, verse twenty eight. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Colossians chapter three and verse nine. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You shall not covet, Ephesians chapter five and verse five. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God that's just the 10 commandments we should ask ourselves if there's an old testament question where's the new testament answer and when there is a new testament answer we stand firmly on that new testament answer if we have an old testament question and we cannot find a new testament answer that is not binding that is something we can take that is something we can process that is something that can even be a guide for us but it's not binding it's not binding for us. L- let, me, let, me, let me help you with this since I went there earlier. Deuteronomy 22.5. A woman should not wear that which pertains to a man. Okay, Number one, the context there was going to battle, putting on the men's battle armor and going and fighting as soldiers. Context is key. <clears throat> but does the New Testament talk about Modesty. Was it in First, Second Timothy that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel? Correct. It says that. Number one, let's not abuse the word modesty. What is the word? If I said I was going to hire you and you said, "What's the salary going to be?" I say, "Well, I'll tell you later." But let me just say, it's going to be a modest. It'll be a modest salary. What does that tell you? Modest says it's not going to be over the top. It's not going to be crazy, but it's not going to be too. It's not going to be not enough. You know what does modest mean? Adequate, appropriate. Correct. So, do I believe the Bible speaks on how a a lady ought to dress modestly? Sure, appropriate. Appropriate. But once again, let's finish the verse. Not with braided hair or gold jewelry. Do you think possibly we need to look into that verse and say that maybe there was some cultural appropriation needed for that day and time? Let's just be real. So does the Bible speak to it in the Old Testament? Yeah, it speaks to women not going to battle and wearing the men's battle armor to go out and fight. Does the Bible speak to modesty in the New Testament? It absolutely does. But it includes braiding your hair and wearing gold jewelry. Once again, it is paramount to understand how to interpret properly Scripture. You say, Josh, what do you you feel about modesty in the Bible? Here's what I feel. I feel that women should adorn themselves in modest apparel. I believe that is a personal decision between that lady and God and that lady and her husband and that daughter and their father and God. And I believe that before my wife were to come to church on a Sunday, I'd do this three or four times a month. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> my, my wife would maybe say, hey, honey, is, is, like, is everything, you know, everything kosher, everything good? That's what, that's, that's what I feel about it. Same way I ought to look at my wife and say, hey, am I okay? Is like everything appropriate, modest? Not too much, not too little. Y'all know I ain't gonna never do that. Enough, enough, right? Modest. So what do I believe about it? I believe what the Bible says about it. Anyway, sorry, just wanted to help us there. Wow. Lastly, and we're done. The law is a guardrail leading us to Jesus. Galatians chapter three We've spoken about the law and haven't been in Galatians yet. And that's a travesty, so here we are. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, verse 24, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come... We are no longer under a tutor. What's the King James uh, schoolmaster? You see, the law is, hey, stop. The law is, hey, listen, this is the standard. This is the 100. This is the A plus. You're at a B minus. The law says here's where you don't add up. The law says, try all you want, but you will not be perfect. But I got good news this morning. The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. We're no longer under that schoolmaster. I think of schoolmaster, I think of like, think of like the nastiest, dirtiest, ugliest teacher you ever had. I got one in my head. You see, you would never know you needed saving unless you knew you were lost. I'll repeat it so you grasp it. You would never know you needed saving unless you knew you were lost. What does the law do? It lets you know you're lost. Just the Ten Commandments. Every single person in this room, we've broken at least one of them. Just the Ten Commandments. Not counting all the other New Testament commandments that are given. Just the Ten Commandments. The Big Ten. Every single person in this room has broken one of them. Every single person. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the law. The law reveals our lostness. And the never successful attempt that sinful men have at perfection. Jesus came. Turn your eyes upon Jesus to be our perfection. You see, the law kills, the law brings us down, the law binds us. But it points us to the one who lifts us up, who makes us alive. Who releases the chains? Who gives us freedom? Jesus, the Savior of the world, the one we'll celebrate here in the month of December, the perfect, holy Son of God born of a virgin. He came. He came. Hey, we needed a Savior. The children of Israel desperately needed a Savior. Was Moses that Savior? Absolutely not. While Moses was up getting the Ten Commandments, what were the children of Israel doing? They were with Aaron. What were they making? A golden calf. They were breaking the Ten Commandments right then. As the Ten Commandments were being given. That's what the law does. It shows us our imperfections. It shows us our sin. Now, because of Jesus, the penalty of sin has been taken. The penalty of the law has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. On the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, the blood that was shed, it's been taken. We no longer live under that penalty this morning. We live under Christ. This is my testimony that Jesus Christ the righteous justified me. It's all about Jesus this morning. It's all about him. The law points to him. Grace is him. Love is him. It's all about Jesus. Jesus. You say, well, what about those laws in the Old Testament? First of all, civil law, ceremonial law, hey, those are all fine and good. They don't necessarily apply to me. I can use them, they can help me, but they don't don't bind me. Well, what about the the moral law? What about the Ten Commandments? Oh, yeah, definitely. I follow those. Those are moral guidelines, honestly, for any society to function properly. I follow those. Well, what if you break one of them? Let me introduce you to somebody. His name's Jesus. Let me introduce you to a concept. It's called grace. Let me introduce you to the gospel this morning. If you're watching online or you're here in person, the gospel is simply this. The gospel is that the law showed you that you could not live up to the standard. That's the gospel. It's the bad news of the gospel. The gospel means good news, though. The good news is that Jesus came, Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. God incarnate, wrapped in flesh, Jesus. Jesus came and he came and he lived a perfect life. He did not break the law. Even when the the nation of Israel and the people tried to say he did, he never broke the law. He lived a perfect life sinless, holy. He died on a cross. He was ridiculed and he was rejected by his own people. He died on a cross. He shed his blood. He became your sin. Think about the worst sin you've ever committed. Jesus became that sin. So much so that God the Father had to turn his back because he could not look upon sin. Jesus became sin. He was buried in. A borrowed tomb, thankfully, because three days later he rose again in victory and triumph over death, over sin, over hell. And he simply says this repent and believe the gospel. He says, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He simply says, believe. Repent. And believe, hey, that's the best thing about the law. The best thing about the law is that it leads you to Jesus. Thanks for listening today. If you're listening for the first time, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you have a question about the gospel of Jesus. If so, we'd like you to send us an email at hello at keystone If you're a regular listener to our podcast and you would like to donate to the media and outreach ministries at Keystone, your gift would allow us to do more in an effective way to get the gospel out. Thank you for partnering with us in ministry in Durham and around the world.